0: anxiety those butterfly feelings in our stomach that paralyzing panic that prevents you from getting anything done i want to be intentional to note that we're not talking about clinical or diagnosed anxiety right now i'm talking about the everyday anxiety we all experience it in one form or another and it's only gotten worse over the past two years Our triggers and stressors may be unique, but the feeling is something universal and is wired into each one of us. But what if I told you that anxiety could be your friend? That if you get to know it, that if you name it and claim it, you can help turn down the anxious feelings. And even better, you can channel them into high performance for the moments that genuinely matter to you. This is what we explore in our first episode of the Resilience at Google podcast, a new series about cultivating resilience in the workplace and beyond. I'm Lauren Witt, the head of Global Resilience at Google. In this podcast series, we're pairing neuroscientists and psychologists with mental performance coaches to uncover the science behind resilience and to help us put into practice tips and strategies to respond to everyday change. Before we dive in, you may be asking, what does resilience mean? And what does it have to do with my work? I get this question a lot. At Google, we say that resilience is the ability to respond to and recover from stress. We believe that it's built by design and not by default. It's dynamic, it can grow. It's fueled by connection and relationships. Resilience is about rest and recovery, not endurance and grit. In each episode, we'll share research done on different aspects of resilience by Google's People Innovation Lab and will answer the questions that Googlers are asking us about how to navigate change and uncertainty. Our guest experts will help you apply those lessons to your own work environment and your unique personal situation. Today, we have a conversation with Wendy Suzuki, a neuroscientist and professor from New York University. She's the author of a book called Good Anxiety, harnessing the power of the most misunderstood emotion.
1: I call anxiety good because from an evolutionary perspective, anxiety evolved to protect us. But today, everybody's anxiety levels are just so high. There are so many tools that we can use to learn how to turn that volume
0: down. And with her, we have Kenza Gunter, a clinical and sports psychologist. She has a private practice and she works with professional athletes as well as corporate executives.
2: So for me, when I'm talking to athletes, I really like to balance it between this idea of trusting yourself and fearing the unknown. And sometimes when we're so focused on the fear of what might happen, we lose sight of how I've prepared and the skills that I know I possess. Like the anxiety does not take all of that away. And so really balancing a trust in yourself with also a trust that you can meet this moment.
0: They're both gonna help us demystify the sources of anxiety and help us turn it into a force for good in our lives. This is episode one, Good Anxiety. Thank you both for being here. Today, we're going to use sort of a process that's been pretty similar to how we've launched our Meet the Moment program at Google, and it's really asking you, the experts, questions that Googlers are asking us. One thing I always like to lead with is setting the stage on who you are and what you do. And Wendy, you are a neuroscientist, you are an author, you are a professor, How do you spend your days and your time and your energy? So what do I do? I get to think about the most complex
1: structure known to humankind, which is the human brain and how it works and how we can make it work better. And then I get to teach all the stuff we know to lots of excited, interested students. So that's my role as a neuroscientist and a professor or teacher. And then the most recent job that I've taken on is author, because I love communicating this information and people should be excited about their brain and how it works.
0: Oh, I love that, Wendy. I Before I joined Google, I was a professor for a number of years, Ah. in addition to doing well-being work and wellness program work, and there's nothing more fun than seeing that light bulb come on. Kenza, you are a clinical psychologist. You are a mental performance coach and consultant. You work with professional athletes around the globe. You also work with corporate executives. What do you do? How do you help people be better?
2: What I like to say I try to do is I like to try to help people get out of their own way so that they can move forward in their lives in the way that they want to. What I mean by that is by teaching different skills, trying to help equip them to feel like they're more capable of meeting the stressors that happen in their life. So it may be just continuing to elevate some of the skills that they already have so that they can thrive um, in different ways in multiple areas of their life.
0: That's so true, right? We want to be thriving. We want to be high performers. We want to achieve that next step. And it's so important for us to use the skills and strategies to be able to do it. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation today. And Wendy, you've written a book that I've passed around to several of my family members in the last couple of weeks and the months called Good Anxiety. But what is good anxiety? Can we just start there? Because we all say quite often, I'm anxious. I'm feeling anxious. There's anxiety around me. But what is good anxiety? I love that question. So
1: my favorite question, I call anxiety good because from an evolutionary perspective, anxiety, the emotion of anxiety and that underlying physiological stress response that always comes with it, evolved to protect us from things that could really be harmful. It was actually critical for our survival. So at its core, this emotion is helpful, it is good. Now, let me address all those people thinking, yeah, but today uh, it's not good at all, it's terrible. And uh, that is because we're not feeling that protective element, that warning signal that anxiety can provide us. Because collectively as a society, our volume of anxiety is simply turned way too high. And too much of anything, including a good thing, is bad. And so we all have too much anxiety, which is now bad. So the book is about learning how to recenter And we approach our emotion of anxiety so that we get that good protective element from it. That's why I call it
0: good. I so appreciate that. And I come from a background of resilience and trying to build resilience in individuals and teams and organizations. And so much of what we talk about in resilience is how do we build those protective factors before we end up in that moment of crisis? And Kenza, you work with high performers where anxiety can cripple a high performance moment. And so how do you think of anxiety and its ability to catapult us to good performance versus crippling and holding us back?
2: I think of it in terms of if it's functional or if it's it's dysfunctional, because I think similar to what Wendy said, anxiety is a part of our experience. There's nothing inherently wrong with the experience of anxiety. And I also want to say, I know we're talking about everyday anxiety. Someone who experiences an anxiety disorder may certainly need more assistance in order to manage their feeling, whether that's medication or meeting with a mental health professional. I really think what it comes down to is us us being sure that it's in a functional place as opposed to a dysfunctional place. When we're in chronic states of anxiety, that can start to impair our functioning. And so thinking about the ways in which we can physiologically Manage that feeling of anxiety, harness it and use it when we need to, because the anxiety can also be energizing, right? But it can reach a point where it becomes debilitating, and that point is different for all of us. So, kind of learning what that point is for you.
0: And, Wendy, your book talks a lot about strategies and techniques and tips in it. And so, when somebody's sitting in that moment of uncertainty, what's the first thing that we should do or think about?
1: My number one go-to, if you're starting to feel that, you know, that tingling in your stomach or however it manifests in you going into anxiety, is to activate your natural de-stressing part of your nervous system. First of all, let me just highlight, we all have a natural de-stressing part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system. What it does is it slows down our heart rate. It slows down our respiration. It shunts blood from our muscles towards our digestion. And the best way to activate that that you can do right now is deep breathing. There's a reason why monks for thousands of years have used breath work as a way to center themselves, bring them into calmness. And I recommend a boxed breathing technique, which is inhaling on a four count, holding at the top for four, exhaling on a four count, holding at the bottom for four, even saying it. Every time I say it, I get calmer. That's my number one to go to. The other wonderful way to help us just calm that stress response down, as you know very well, is moving your body. Physical activity is so powerful. And from a neuroscience perspective, What you're doing is you're releasing a whole bunch of neurochemicals. I call it a wonderful neurochemical bubble bath that you give your brain every single time you move your body. You can walk down the street and start to get this bubble bath effect. And what's in that bubble bath, dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, endorphins. That helps bring that stress level,
2: that anxiety level, that depression level down. If I could add to that, Lauren, because I think it's also important for us to just simply notice when we're feeling the anxiety, the feeling of anxiety and that stress response that we have is protective. It's designed to alert us that there's something going on in our environment. So when we feel anxiety, regardless of where we are, kind of what degree we feel it, that's a sign. And we need to first say, what is in my environment that might be creating this feeling or contributing to this feeling right now? Because sometimes that can give us information on where we can also activate and steps that we can take. But I think that too becomes really important to try to understand what are your triggers? What are the situations that bring about that protective response within you, right? It's important for us to be aware of that too.
1: I love that Kensa and helps us to do exactly what you're saying is first turn it down maybe a little bit and then be able to pay attention say oh what is that? What is that telling me about my world and and what's going on in it? Everybody's anxiety levels are just so high.
0: There are so many tools that we can use to learn how to turn that volume down. And I really hear two things coming out of this. One is this concept of name it and claim it, like put a name to it. It's okay to say this feeling is anxiousness. And then to look at what I think a more clinical word, maybe this emotional regulation of we don't talk to each other with, you need to regulate your emotions right now. You know, it's more of like, you need to chill out. It's just putting names to an emotion or to a moment and identifying what God is there really. And are there any other superpowers that sort of come from identifying those moments in order to move through them?
1: So what I describe in this book is all these techniques that we've already started to dive into to turn the volume down on your anxiety. Don't get rid of it. I'm not promising to get rid of it because it's valuable, but turn it down, name it and claim it. That opens the door to wonderful gifts of anxiety. So did you realize that your own particular form of anxiety might lead to higher levels of Productivity. And that is this kind of jujitsu move of turning that what if list that comes up very, very commonly in anxiety, no matter what form you have. You know, what if I didn't send that email and I wasn't polite enough? What if I didn't do this fast enough? And turn all those worries into a to do list to give you my own anxiety. I'm trying to go to sleep. Bing! Something sparks my brain and I think about all the things that I thought I might not have done that day. And now what I do is simply turn that into a to-do list that I tell myself, I'm gonna do it tomorrow morning and do it tomorrow morning. And I not only address each one of those issues, but you know I put a big check mark because anxiety developed to put an action on it. You run away or you fight that evolutionary fight or flight response. So checking things off on that productivity enhancing to do less, helps to relieve that feeling of anxiety. So productivity is a gift. that comes from anxiety.
2: Yeah, and I think that so often the anxiety that we may experience on a day-to-day basis is fueled by our thoughts and our perception of the situation. And so I think another gift that we might get from that is being able to shift our perception. Being able to accurately name what it is that you're feeling and what the need you actually have think that could be really, really important. If you're anxious because you know you need to have a conversation with someone that you haven't had, that then gives you information about what action to take. And so I think if we can name it and maybe sort through some of our perception and move to that action state, as Wendy is talking about, I think that becomes really important. I think that awareness and then moving into action really are the ways that you can tap into your
0: superpowers for managing. Kenza, I love that space of like... Our thoughts often drive our behaviors, and we can choose which thoughts we listen to and which thoughts we dismiss and let go. Let's dig a little deeper into this space because Googlers ask us all the time how do I silence the noise? There's noise in the world around us, and there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of dynamic things. There's reorganizations, there's manager changes, there's project priorities that shift, and all of these bring about that day-to-day anxiety of like, ooh, that was unexpected and now I have to pivot and turn. And so how can I silence the noise of bad anxiety so that I can focus my attention on these action-oriented thoughts? And what are some other ways that we can be more action-oriented in our thoughts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about silencing the noise, the first thing that came to my mind is that there will always be noise, right? So I think the trick becomes identifying what's background noise and what's the noise that you need to attend to in order to engage in whatever task sits before you. What's important right now and what actions do I need to engage in to address this task? So it's this idea of prioritizing in terms of where your attention goes so that you can prioritize in terms of where you channel your energy as well.
0: Wendy, your book, you talk about reaching the sweet spot of good anxiety. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about how do I reach that sweet spot and what is the sweet spot of good anxiety? You know,
1: I use examples from my own life. A lot of my own anxieties are laid right out there in the book. And the sweet spot is that time that there was worry, there was fear but you crushed it. Everybody has one experience like that. And then we all have experiences where I was worried, I was scared, and I crashed and burned. So crashing and burning is when that anxiety level, that activation energy that is literally electrical activity in your brain goes over the top and starts to inhibit Your brain's ability to do what you need to do, whether it's a talk or you're doing some sort of other physical performance, there is that sweet spot where everything is working well. And again, using your memory banks and going back, what happened in that moment? And you start to be able to identify those features in your own world that help you do that. It's preparation, it's mindset It's how you feel, but finding that for yourself. I'm a neuroscientist that does randomized control study for a living, but I also do plenty of experiments on me. And I'll tell you, my sweet spot doesn't come from a paper that I've read. It's really about self-experimentation and finding that activation that gets you to a really high performing level and knowing that that is what is working and it's trial
0: and error. And we have to try. We have to keep trying different things and new things. And what got you here won't get you there. So the things that worked in the past, you might have to pivot and try some new or different things as new challenges and new situations come up. Kenzo, I heard a lot of what (laughs) Wendy just said is like performance anxiety. And Mm -hmm. there are these things that we have to do in these high performance moments where the stakes are higher than we could anticipate. In sport, it's a little different than in the corporate world where I have to give a presentation or I have to have a difficult conversation with an employee or there's a sales deal. What are some of the things we can borrow from sport? I don't know if it's that different, to be perfectly
2: honest with you, because I think in both scenarios, you have somebody who is engaging in an activity that they're really invested in and they really want to do well, whether we're talking about a swimmer who's about to race or a basketball player who's about to enter into a game or a, a corporate executive who's about to give a presentation to 500 people, like all of them are invested in what it is that they're doing and they want to do it well. And that investment can lead to worries and concerns about how they're going to perform. Right. And so in thinking about what Wendy just shared with that sweet spot, that sweet spot is different for all of us. Right. But if you look at the research, I'm thinking about the inverted U, the Yerxes Dobson U, which is a very common thing that we talk about in the world of performance psychology. But there's a certain level of activation that's needed that gets you to your peak performance, right? And anything below that level, you're not activated enough. Anything beyond that, you're too activated. So for me, when I'm talking to athletes, I really like to balance it between this idea of trusting yourself and fearing the unknown. We have to hold on to and trust what it is that we know we're capable of doing. And sometimes when we're so focused on the fear of what might happen, we lose sight of how I've prepared, as Wendy was also saying, and the skills that I know I possess. So one of the things that I will remind people of what you are already capable of doing based on what you've already done and how you've already prepared for this moment. Like the anxiety does not take all of that away. And so really balancing a trust in yourself with also a trust that you can meet this moment. And that may require you to look at your highlight reel, right, of moments from the past where you've met similar moments filled with anxiety, and you've still been able to accomplish them.
0: And what a fantastic reminder that the anxiety can't replace all the preparation and all the things that we've done for this moment, that those are all still there. And we can pivot to find those moments of micro flow in order to perform. A lot of what we've been talking about is how I as an individual can reflect on my performance My current anxiety, and then make adjustments. Sometimes we're managers and leaders of a project or a team or a group of people or a very large organization. How should we be thinking about good anxiety from a manager or leader lens on helping groups of people navigate through that or reflect on a large scale? So, the thing that comes to mind is.
1: All of the shame that I have observed in talking to people about anxiety, the word and the emotion anxiety still has very negative connotations, despite the fact that you look around a room and basically everybody has, you know, feeling some form of anxiety and anxiety levels have gone up. And so for leaders, it's about being open with the fact that anxiety, stress, and depression levels are really going up and that they understand that. And there are tools that we could all use together. One of the most powerful ones that is right there in the meeting is social connection. Positive social connection is a great way to help ease anxiety depression levels so all of the managers out there have this amazing tool powerful tool at their fingertips
2: if they choose to use it as an anxiety and stress diminisher i think another skill that really is is important for managers is to display a level of empathy So this ability to just attempt to understand what somebody else may be going through in terms of their thoughts or their feelings. And we've talked about naming things as being important for managing anxiety. I think sometimes it's important for managers and leaders to name things in the environment that may be perceived as stressors, right? Because it allows your team members to know, oh, you're in this with us. You see the same things that we see. And yes, there are still things that we need to do, but I think managers really can play a huge role in creating an environment whereby anxiety in and of itself being concerned about what's to come is not a bad thing. We're all in this together and I'm also being really clear on what role it is that I need you to play in this process because when people have role clarity, they feel more equipped again to channel their energy in specific ways and leaders can can play a major role in providing that clarity, really creating that team atmosphere for everyone who's in that group.
1: I love that Kensa and I feel like empathy and compassion are two really, really powerful gifts or superpowers that come from our own form of anxiety. And let me give you a specific example. I was a very shy girl growing up, and I had years and years and years of social anxiety where I wanted to ask questions in class, but very scared to do that. So that's a form of social anxiety that I still have to this day. But I realized now I'm at the front of the classroom and spent time staying after class to answer all of those questions because I knew there were students out there that were just like me. And of course this translates beautifully to the boardroom that there may be fear in you know sharing in a meeting and turning that empathy and maybe doing something as small as going over to people that may not have said something uh, recently and just making sure you have all of their input is a beautiful gift that can come from empathy.
0: What a great example of both of you referencing it, but managers and leaders serving as role models. Here are the strategies that work for me. Let's do them together. Here are lessons I've learned. Let me put them into action for for the team or for those that are in the space and Wendy, you talk about in your book a little bit, high performers prioritize rest and recovery and how important it is for managers and leaders to supercharge performance through role modeling. How do we think about rest and recovery and its relationship to good anxiety? You know, I think the most
1: immediate way to start thinking about this is something that we do, every one of us, every single day, and we don't think nearly as much about it as we should, which is sleep. Sleep is our daily rest and recovery. It's so important, not just for brain health and brain performance, but all your physiological systems. You can go on and on and on about what we know about the beneficial effects of regular sleep. I teach university students. That is a study in sleep deprivation, but we know <laughs> that, you know, one all-nighter is the equivalent of the difference between passing and failing an exam. All-nighter students do 40 percent less well than students that have gotten eight hours of sleep. It has a direct effect on your brain and then we're talking about anxiety levels, emotional regulation, your ability to emotionally regulate yourself so that each little thing doesn't blow up into
2: this huge, huge problem. All that comes with good sleep. In addition to what Wendy said, I think it is us re-examining what we think about rest and recovery as it relates, not only to good anxiety, but also to productivity. For a long time, I think in high performance and high demand cultures, we have thought that the the way to be successful was to work more, to work harder, to work longer, and to put rest and recovery by the wayside. And one of the things in the world of sport that we really do try to emphasize is the importance of rest and recovery. It's not that rest and recovery get in the way of productivity. They actually enhance it. Right. And so in the same way that we have a flight or flight system in our bodies, a stress response in our bodies, as Wendy said earlier in this discussion, we also have a relaxation response. Physiologically, we are designed to relax. That is the system that calms down that threat system that we have. Sleep, absolutely, is a primary way. We've talked about mindfulness and meditation. You can engage in active recovery as well. I know a lot of people are like, but I just don't want to sit still and do nothing. That's not what recovery and rest are about. It really is about disconnecting from this idea that you need to constantly be productive so that you can engage in activities that truly allow you to recharge, right? Think of it as plugging in your phone. If you want your phone to be on full battery, you plug it in so that it can get the charge. Think about what are those things that when you plug into those activities, when you plug into those people, when you plug into whatever it is that you're doing that recharges you, you have to add that to the mix. And that's going to allow you to recharge your energy store so that you can continue to be productive.
0: We talk a lot in our resilience program at Google about passive and active recovery, even to the extent that we have global reset days where the whole company takes a day to rest and recover. And we talk about it as a time where you can choose Active or passive recovery. It can be a day to catch up on things. It can be a day to sit on the couch and binge watch your favorite show. It can be a day to climb a mountain or go walking with your family or swimming or journaling or reading a book, whatever those things are that truly refuel and re energize you. And so I do value so much that difference between active and passive recovery. I think we have some difficult and challenging things ahead as a globe, as we begin to transition into various formats of hybrid work, where some people are working from home, some people are going to be working from offices, a variety of places. And how do we address the uncertainty of these dynamic things coming ahead of us? with a good anxiety instead of a a negative anxiety. And Wendy, you talk a bit in your book about cognitive flexibility. And that's what I hear being described right now. is really that how do I flip back and forth? And you use a term um, salience network in your book, Mm -hmm. where you talk about like that ability to creatively switch back and forth between moments and places. And that's where we're going with work, right? Is this environmental salience, if you will, of switching back and forth creatively in spaces. Absolutely. And, you know, we were made to do this. My
1: main topic of a study from day one of my studies is brain plasticity, the brain's ability to change and re- work its circuits based on the environment well guess what our environment is changing all over the place every day but luckily we have a human brain and that brain can change and adapt and creativity is part of it and we're using an activist mindset to be able to come to these challenging situations i'm not saying it's all easy and it's all great but The most productive people come to these challenges with an activist mindset that says, how can I get around this so that everybody can be as flexible as they want, either outside the office
2: or inside or half outside and inside? The first thing that came to my mind was look at all the opportunity that exists I mean, look at the opportunity that exists for us to actually honor people's different lived experiences and reflect that in their workplace, right? And so I think about all the flexibility. It's different, and it may be new as we think about what it is to be in hybrid spaces, but there also is this tremendous opportunity to not just honor the productivity of the folks that work, but to honor them as people to create systems that allow us to be flexible, right? So that they can set up their lives in a way that works for them and allow them to tap into the good anxiety while minimizing what can sometimes be that dysfunctional anxiety.
0: What I love about that, Kenza, is the discussion on tying together both of your messages of seek out the silver lining that this anxiety can be helpful and it can catapult you to the next level of performance when we look at it through the right lens and apply the right strategies to use it for good instead of holding us back. At Google, often we want to know, what's the one thing that I can do right now? And so if you have that one thing to enhance good anxiety and minimize the bad anxiety, what can we do today?
1: I would say work on your activist mindset. We were just talking about that. That mindset and the ability to be flexible with that mindset, whether you are riding high and everything's going well, or you're way down in the dumps, that is gonna serve you for the rest of your life. I agree with Kensa that this is a really amazing opportunity that we have to remake how work is done. And we're already doing it. And all of these cognitive tools are so important to be aware of and to apply to its most powerful extent.
2: So I, I feel like I have to give a caveat here because what I want to say is there are no quick fixes. So whatever it is, what, and I, I know that's not the answer that people want to hear, but I think <laughs> that's the reality of the moment. But there are things you can do that if you do repeatedly will have an effect. And so I guess the one thing that stands out for me is be be careful of the way in which you talk to and about yourself. The self-talk. I think self-talk becomes really, really important. The words that we use to describe whether this is a challenge or an opportunity, whether this is something that I'm incapable of doing or I'm capable of doing this piece, whether this is hard or easy, those words and the way in which we judge things. I think really frame our perception and our experience. I think becomes a really important thing for us to be mindful of and skill that we can develop to help us in in managing our anxiety.
0: I appreciate that. At Google, we prioritize well-being. We tend to give Googlers time and money to invest in their well-being. So imagine you are given time and money to invest in your sense of well being, what are you spending it on? And what are you doing to enhance that good anxiety for yourselves?
1: I have a very specific answer focused on my hobby, which is tea. I love drinking tea, I do a tea meditation every morning. And what I would do is travel and learn about tea. And I love all the teapots. You have lots of teapots and teacups. And so I would spend the money on really pretty teacups and teapots. And I would also spend the money on learning about, about how tea is cultivated and experiencing all the different flavors and just really dig into that hobby that I love.
0: Wendy, I love that. We actually have an activity that I'll challenge you with. Okay. And we call it our T check-in, T-E-A, for our thoughts, our energy, and our attention. Are your thoughts focused on the things you want to prioritize? Is your energy in a place that's positive and helpful? And if not, what do you need to change to do that? And your attention. Are you paying attention to the things that are most important and highly prioritized right now? So when you have tea tomorrow, think about the Google tea check-in for your thoughts, your energy, and your attention. Okay. Writing that down. Kinza, what about you? There are two
2: things, if I can break the rules a little bit. The first thing is I would hire a personal trainer. Because that would be somebody to motivate me to do the thing that I know helps me almost more than anything, which is exercise. The other thing that I would do is I would pay to go to a beach at least once a month. Um, Because there is something that's just very relaxing for me about being around the water, the blue space, and how being around water is calming.
0: I cannot encourage that more. (laughs) There is something very restorative during intense moments of the ocean and the waves and the sand. But Wendy, just one final thought here. Kenza has tossed out exercise and movement. And you talk a little bit about movement and exercise in your book. Do you have any quick tips for Kenza to get her going? Do I have tips for the professional athlete and coach to get
1: her going? Is that the question? I am. I am certainly
2: not the professional athlete. I work with them. I am. I work with the mind. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Kenza, my best tip is just lacing up your shoes. Right. Once, once we have the shoes laced it's easier to move forward than to lace up those shoes and have a seat on the couch. So make the goal lacing up the sneakers and that will potentially get you moving as well. Got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. (laughs) Kenza, Wendy, this has just been such a rich conversation with so many ways to bring in the neuroscience, the pieces that we don't often think about at the forefront into practical applications of really harnessing good anxiety during a time where there is plenty of anxiety and plenty of challenge, but for us to be able to use it for good and to help us be high performers in the moments that genuinely matter to us. So thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your experience, your insights and your stories. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Resilience at Google. To learn more, you can read Wendy Suzuki's book, Good Anxiety. And you can find links to follow Wendy's research and insights into Kenza's work in our show notes. Until our next episode, we hope that what you've just heard gives you ideas and tools to meet the moments that matter the most to you. you.
3: This has been a production by the Resilience Team, headed up by our one and only host, Dr. Lauren Witt. Special thanks to our leaders, Brian Glasser and Fiona Ciccone for sponsoring this project. And of course, thank you to our People Innovation Lab, or PILab, led by Iowa Shirako, for providing us with the data to inform this conversation. And we'd like to thank our partners over at Long Story Short Media, executive producers, Jessica Stewart and Bob Yule, producer, Josh Hall, and editor, Andy Strassel for producing this podcast recorded remotely on Google Meet. If you're interested in other conversations hosted by Google, check out our Talks at Google podcast, where great minds meet. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place and can be found wherever you find your favorite shows.